Good morning, New Life. Uh, it's so good to be here with you, with my brothers and sisters. I can't tell you enough. I know that we meet sometimes in person, but the fact that we actually have more than just a handful of people is just a, such a blessing to me. I miss my brothers and sisters. This Zoom thing is not working for me. I need to see, and I know it's COVID time, but I need to, I need to feel you guys. I need to touch you guys. But God bless them. Thank you. Thank you that you're here. Uh, please pray for me. There's, uh, there's a lot of verses here. And uh, if you know me, you know I'm just slow. So, Lord willing, let me get through this and do it justice. My name is Jose Negron, and I'm an elder here at New Life Church, and I will be bringing you the message from God's Word today. We're continuing our study in the book of Revelations, chapter 2, where the Apostle John was directed by God to write seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, describing their present state and circumstances, and to address each letter to the angel of that church, um, or to say the minister or the ministry of the church in that city. They're called angels because they're messengers of God to mankind. Today we will look specifically at verses 18 to 29. The letter to the church in Thyatira. As Pastor Tim pointed out last week, the majority of the letters follow a pattern. They follow a pattern of, of commending of, of, of what is right, of what is wrong, and um, the reward. Right. That is to say... What's the church is doing right? Where have they gone wrong? And the reward that awaits if they persevere in doing right and repent of their wrongdoing. I have broken the text out into three points, of course. <laughs> the first point, titled, A Love That Reveals. Uh, we will see together how merciful and loving God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, who is love, is able uh, no, that's not going to work, is able to search the hearts of this church in Thyatira to reveal their good and right deeds, to search their innermost thoughts, and to commend them accordingly. The second point, a love that rebukes, will bring us face to face with a love that while seeing the right that the church in Thyatira does, will not turn away nor sugarcoat the full condition of the believers there. It is a love that brings hard truth to the state of every soul, both mine and yours, knows our frailness, and so provides time for repentance, and brings condemnation and suffering to those who will not. And finally, in my third point, a love that rejoices in reward, restoration, and rule. I hope to clearly show you our loving and faithful God who rewards and restores his people for his glory. Beloved, let's stand together as we uh, read out loud Revelations chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory and praise, Almighty God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, Lord. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you have come. You have seen our condition, O Lord God, that we were a people without hope. And Lord, you gave of yourself completely. You have set us free, O Lord, our God. And Lord, we give you glory and praise. Lord, may every part of us, our hearts, our minds, our hands and our feet, Lord, hear and speak and run and do all for your glory. I pray, Lord God, now that you would open our ears and our hearts that we would receive what you would have to say to us, Father God. Lord, let us, Father God, uh, in humility, and Lord, and in worship, desire to know you in deeper and better ways, O Lord. I pray that you would be with us here now. I pray that you would be with me, Father. Help me, O Lord, to bring your word to your people, Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to provide some background for you. Uh, So Thyatira was a small city that had uh, many trade guilds for commerce, Uh, things such as like cloth making, uh, dyeing, leatherworking, and numerous other trades and crafts. When you think of a guild, it's not really, I don't know if it's a word that people necessarily use today, but a guild is kind of like the modern version of a, of a union hall or a religious center, right? Um, persons of the same profession would work and gather, and various trades and religious functions and so on would happen there. In Acts 16.14, Paul names his first convert in Philippi, Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods, meaning cloth dyed purple. Lydia was from the city of Thyatira. I think that's always so cool. when You you see these things, you know, just tie together. Verses 18 and 19, a love that reveals. Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Like the church in Pergamon, and no doubt in many places, the church in Thyatira had, in addition to worship of Apollo the sun god, small g, there was required worship of the emperor and the many patron gods each guild had and celebrated during their festivals. Jesus comes and, this, and he says that, no, that's not happening. In direct contrast to, to this is verse 18, where Jesus, as the angel of the Lord, says he is the son of God, the only begotten one. Jesus goes on further to describe two distinct characteristics about himself. One, that his eyes are like a flame of fire. This, to me, directly signifies the piercing and penetrating eyes of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is able with perfect knowledge to see the hearts of all persons and into all things and will make all the churches to know that he does so. It's a little unsettling, and it has to be unsettling to you. It's a little unsettling to me to think about one who is able to see into my very soul, right? Into, into, that, into that mess with eyes from which you can hide nothing. And then I remember that it's Jesus, the one who came, gave himself, that I would be set free. And in that context, it is well with my soul. You see, when Jesus looks into our hearts, our souls, and shows us the pain that we have caused other, others, the pain that have been, has been inflicted upon us, the complete depravity that lies within our hearts and minds, when we are laid bare with all this mess now revealed before us, those penetrating eyes, those eyes of fire soften. And they soften with a love that before then, you and I never knew. Jesus, the one who is love, offers to us himself a love that at times I struggled to comprehend, but I can receive it. I can receive it. Forgiveness beyond measure and unmerited, but I can receive it. Grace that is always sufficient. Jesus, the lover of my soul and yours, offers to us himself, and because of him, there is therefore now no condemnation. Amen. The second characteristic Jesus uses to describe himself is that his feet are like fine brass. Polished bronze uh, in, in the Bible uh, is symbolic of judgment, and it is he, the Son of God, righteous and holy, who comes to judge the living and the dead, who would judge the church at Thyatira, and who would judge you and I. Verse 19, I know the works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. In verse 19, the love that reveals all commends the Thyatiran church for the right things that they are doing. For their works, in a church you had a fellowship of believers who were doers of the word and not just hearers. For their love. Unlike Ephesus, 
The church of Thyatira had love for many people and is the only church that Jesus commended for having one, having love. For their service, this church was heavily involved in ministry and in serving others. For their faith, it was their faith in Christ that fueled their deeds and all of their service and love. And for their patience, they had patient endurance in their service to others and for the sake of Christ. And finally, Jesus commends them for having their latter works be greater than their first works. That's, that's a great thing. That was a, this is a clear sign that the church was growing in their faith. But the love that commends the believers in Thyatira for the many right things they do also sees in their midst those who in the name of tolerance and love would think that they would be good things allow idol worship and sexual morality. The love that reveals now comes to rebuke. Point number two, a love that rebukes. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. In verse 20, we see the main issue with the church in Thyatira, and that is the seduction of the church, not as a whole, but some members who have given themselves over to idol worship and following various false prophets who encourage believers to participate in these pagan festivals. These festivals were often held at these trade centers, these guilds, and had at their center had at their center idol worship and sexual morality. There may have been a prophetess among the seducers actually named Jezebel, or Jesus may have used the name Jezebel as a symbol and reference to the Philistine queen of Israel, who was considered the most evil woman who had ever lived. She led Israel's king Ahab into Baal worship, and this idolatry would spread throughout all of Israel. This was now being repeated and tolerated in the Thyatiran church. Unlike the church in Ephesus, where Jesus commends them that you cannot endure evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles. Here we see a church that had lots of love, but lacked the ability to rightly divide the word of God. Failing to present sound doctrine in the face of compromise. These seducers, these Jezebels, manipulated and led the way in this compromise, and many followed. And to this fact that guilds were the work centers of the day, a refusal to join the guilds could end up in you losing your job or not finding employment in the first place. So there's a lot of pressure. Christ calls them out for this tolerance and calls them back to himself. I read a really good book some time ago called The Discipline of Grace. Um, and in it, the author describes the difficult task at times of being tender on tolerance, of showing grace, while at the same time being disciplined with the vigilance and truth against heresy. 
It was a really good book. This is a part of our calling, and it is not easy. It can only be done as we abide in Jesus. Verse 21, and I, give her, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality, and she did not repent. How many of you know that our God is long-suffering? Our God is patient, slow to anger, gracious in all his ways toward his children. He does not desire our destruction, but gave himself completely that we would know our Heavenly Father. In his mercy, his tender mercies that are new every morning, he patiently waits and guides those called by him to repent of their sinful ways. This is what he did in Thyatira. It is what he does now for all who are called by him. And yet for some, like in this church, this time is used not to repent, but to harden their hearts. Verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. To pit yourself against the living God is to put yourself in harm's way. Do not think that because you are not the chief sinner, but rather one of the many who have been misled, that the wrath and punishment of God will somehow overlook you. Jesus lets the believers who have been deceived know that unless they repent, they too would join her in the great tribulation. The Lord our God in his mercy brings punishment to those in idol worship and sexual morality, but he does so because he desires that they would repent of their ways. Beloved, ask the Holy Spirit, given freely to all of his children, to all who believe, to search your hearts. And if in that is revealed that which must be repented of, then do so. Do so with the knowledge of his great love for you that does not condemn confession, but brings complete forgiveness. And should the Spirit of God bring you peace where the world and its systems cry sin, then rest in the knowledge that the love that reveals and rebukes does so with perfect love, wisdom, and truth. It is a love that says to the hearer, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Verse 23, I will kill her with children, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Again, the Lord our God declares that all seducers and followers alike will share in his wrath and destruction for the unrepentant. And again, reminds us that he and he alone is able to search the hearts and minds of men and women. To find those things that are not aligned with the will of God 
and that he will reward according to what you have done. In verses 18 to 23, we have seen a love that both, both reveals and rebukes, a love that is patient and perfect, a love that is terrifying to those who would not heed its warning, a warning born out of love for you and I. For my third point, I love that rejoices in reward and restoration. I hope to show and share with you our glorious Savior who comes with compassion for our condition. Verses 24 to 25. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. Here we see Jesus speaking to the believers in Thyatira who have not followed the Jezebels of the day, who have held hard onto the doctrines of God and who have shown themselves, as in 2 Timothy 2.15, to be diligent to present yourself an approved worker, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And to them, Jesus tenderly says that he will not overburden their faith, rather to continue in what he gave them until the day of his coming. And he who overcomes... Verses 26 to 28. And he whoever comes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels. And I will give him the morning star. Here we see Jesus once again speaking to the overcoming believers to hold fast for he is coming and will put an end to all temptations and to sin itself. To them and to us, to those who have overcome by the power of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, and are called children of God, he will give authority to rule with him under his great kingship. And for those who would come against his authority, he will utterly crush in punishment and in judgment. Additionally, for those who overcome, he will give them the morning star. There are many references to the morning star in Scripture, or bright morning star, uh, each with their various meanings. In this case, we need to look to Revelations 22.16, where Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so Jesus speaks about the giving of himself to those who would overcome the traps and snares of the world and the enemies of God. Jesus reveals, rebukes, and rejoices in reward and restoration because of his great love for the church in Thyatira and for you and I, his great love for you and I. We have heard Jesus speak of holding fast until he comes, encouraging the believers in Thyatira and us to be overcomers, keep his works 
until the end when he comes. For me, then, the question becomes, how does a believer overcome? That's a good question. Let me share with you my early years of life growing up. And in doing so, I hope you come to the answer that I come to as we conclude our time together. In my own life, and I'm sure in yours, we have faced many obstacles and difficulties. For me, a large part of my early life was filled with moments of passionate sin. Sinning against others and sin against myself. And while that sin took on many forms, for me, the form most prevalent came as racism. To say it was difficult growing up in the South Philly projects in the 60s and 70s, where you were but less than a handful of non-black families out of hundreds, and at the same time, going to an all-white Catholic school in an all-white section of the city is a classic definition of an understatement. Daily life was a struggle for me, my mom and my younger siblings. It was not filled with the wonderful pictures of families or an outings in the park or the beach. Those things did not exist. Life was the daily task of trying to protect yourself and your family, of fighting when you needed to fight, running when you were outnumbered and could run, and taking a beating when you no longer had strength and could not get away. And once in a while, very rarely, it ended with a de-escalation through words. There was a lot of pleading going on. And apparently, at least back then, as a young Puerto Rican kid and, and young man and a teenager, I was special. See, because not only did I get called Hispanic racial slurs, but I got called black racial slurs. I got called white racial slurs. I don't know. A lot of people had not met a Puerto Rican up until that point. So, <laughs> I mean, I received it all. I, I, I didn't understand half of it. All this while, trying to get an education and help my mom with what little money I earned with summer jobs. We were dirt poor. If I was not having fights with the black kids at the projects, I was having fights with the white kids at school. And in both those situations, it was the color of my skin, my race, my culture, that was at the center of that hate. Racial slurs poured just as easily from the black community as it did from the white kids at school and from the white community. See, we sort of lived, we lived like right next to each other. I mean, literally, you crossed the street and you was going to get a whooping. So you didn't cross the street. Both hurtful and destructive, a passionate hatred, a learned behavior that had at its source their upbringing, community, and their life experience, and of course, ignorance of who I really was. 
You see, what was obvious to my young heart and mind well before my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came into my life and transformed them both was that sin is no respecter of color, of race, or of creed. It was an equal opportunity employer. The sins of the world, a.k.a. our community, the sins of the flesh, and the one in whom sin was found and entered into the world, these three things conspired in an, in an unholy uh, arrangement. It was a partnership that ensured that life was difficult at best and almost unbearable at its worst. This is not to say that it was all bad. It was an environment where God started giving me glimpses of the good that people can do. There were many in both the projects and the school with which I developed a deep and lasting friendship with. Made possible by honest and open conversation about the difficulties and sin issues that each of us faced. Friends with whom I shared life and fun with, but saddened to know that I could not come to their homes because they knew their parents would never accept me. Nor their community. Did I want to judge them as unfairly as I was unfairly judged? Absolutely. I struggled deeply with that for a long time. There were times that I wanted to seethe and soak in the anger within me. There was a, there was a twisted comfort there. My young mind tried to reconcile the moral teachings at school with the hatred, anger, and at times disregard that was directed towards me. Anger was everywhere. It was in my family. It was in my community, it was at school, and it was in my heart. James 1.20 tells us, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, it was not my anger that changed my world, my life. It had no power. It had no power but to rage, destroy, and condemn both me and those around me. Anger was the easy part and the most destructive. It helped me to get my way sometimes to be sure, to manipulate and intimidate those around me, to give me a false sense of power and control. That's what sin does. Within myself and over others. But it did nothing for producing the righteousness of God. It came at a price that my soul could no longer bear. It threatened to consume me, and for a time, deep down, it, it did. But then Jesus. What three beautiful words, but then Jesus. The lover of my soul, the one who gave his all to show me this angry, bitter, and hateful young man to show me a better way. The only way out of the hatred and anger and into union with himself, with my heavenly father. James and throughout scripture teaches us that in all we do, say and experience, 
that there is a higher purpose for our lives to be used by God for his glory and righteousness. And that we become active partakers in that higher calling when we abide in Christ and we give ourselves over to him who apart from we can do nothing. Everything God does, everything he feels, even his anger is righteous. That is not so for you and I. By contrast, our anger is almost always the result, a byproduct of selfishness, fear, or desire to control our circumstances. Beloved, as a precious son or daughter of the living God, you can trust your Heavenly Father to be in control of the seen and the unseen. How many of you know that our God is the God who can look around corners? To be the great Jehovah Jireh, our provider for what is needed, to bring about his justice in his timing and to let go of the anger that daily threatens us all and let God use you for his glory and purposes. Too often in this hectic and unjust world, we do a poor job of listening to the heart of God and so a poor job of listening to each other. To follow hard after Jesus is to be able to really listen and hear others and in doing so, be moved to compassion. This is our calling as we are prayerfully present for each other. I was a young man and still am. <laughs> My wife is going to have words with me later. <laughs> Full of anger, rage, hatred, despair, frustration, and so much more. A young man without hope for my condition, but then Jesus. Jesus showed up. And with his penetrating eyes, he looked into the mess of my heart and my life. And you know what he said? And I'm paraphrasing this, of course. He said, he said, Jose, my beloved, I'm here now. You can let all those things go because I have taken them on to myself. You are free, my son. Jesus set me free. <laughs> Jesus came to show me that it was not a white thing, not a black thing, a brown, yellow, red, blue, green, or turquoise thing. Sorry, I like turquoise. <laughs> Jesus came for me because it was a sin thing. A condition of the human heart thing. And only he was the answer. I want to share with you something I came across in my daily office devotions. I thank you, Pastor Larry, every day for introducing me to that. That I believe is helpful to this. 
and the closing prayer afterwards. For any who want the details, I can tell you them later. But uh, Jean Veneer writes, Loving well is the essence of true spirituality. Requires connection with God, with ourselves, and with other people. We as believers are to practice the presence of God and of people. Love is to reveal the beauty of another person to themselves. And this from Henry Nguyen. It says, I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest, and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. And then and only then can I say carefully and very gently what I hear. I know now that I have to speak from eternity into time, from the lasting joy into the passing realities of our short existence in this world, from the house of love into the houses of fear, from God's abode into the dwellings of human beings. Beloved, when was the last time you took a good long soaking in the love of the one who is love. When the cares and troubles of this world fell away as his face and his presence became more and more real. That place where you are totally, completely consumed by his majesty as if standing in heaven itself. Does it bring you does it bring you to that place where you are utterly and completely undone? Does it bring you to tears as it does for me? I hope so. In, in closing prayer, I want to encourage you to close your eyes and repeat the, repeat the prayer silently in your mind. And I pray that you would seek the Lord with, all, with your whole heart and do so in the knowledge that the love that reveals, that rebukes, and that rejoices and reward and restoration is the same love that cares and watches over us. That comes to his children not to destroy, but to build up and lead. A love that has held nothing back, even unto death. That we, his children, and you are his precious children, would know freedom from sin, eternal life, and oneness with him. The reality is, Truth is found not in a principle, but in a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Lord, I have unhealthy ways of relating to others that are deeply embedded in me. Please change me. Make me a vessel to spread mature, steady, and reliable love so that those I come in contact with will sense your tenderness and kindness through me. Father, help me to be still and listen to you. Feel your embrace and rest in your love and then to speak to others from that place. In Jesus' name, amen.